You're listening to the Brooke Snow Podcast, conversations to help you look forward with faith, faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in your own mission and purpose. I'm your host, Brooke Snow. You have season two, episode 40, The Crisis of Identity. Welcome to season two of the Brooke Snow Podcast. I decided that I needed to start a new season since the next several episodes will be breaking from tradition in a really exciting way. I have some great news today. After some lovely negotiation, I have just received permission from my publisher to publish the audio of my book, Living in Your True Identity, as podcast episodes. I know many of you listen to podcasts on the go and may not have the time to sit down and read a book or reread a book if you've already read it, but my book is some of my best work. And while I do love my regular podcasts, they really are a random selection of topics. The book, however, moves progressively, continually building upon a theme and leading you through a process. Each week, I'll release the next chapter. If you like what you hear, please consider purchasing the book for yourself or someone you know who would really benefit from the message. In almost every conversation I have with someone who's read my book, they tell me they've already given their copy away or they've purchased a copy for someone else because people want to share the message and most importantly, probably the practical tools that are found inside. The book is available on Amazon and you can also find a link for it in the show notes of this episode. So without further ado, let's begin. Living in your true identity, discover, embrace, and develop your own divine nature by Brooke Snow, read to you by the author, Brooke Snow. Introduction, the crisis of identity. You know that feeling, the feeling of comparison and not being enough? Most people feel it several times a day amidst the messaging of media. But even when the screens turn off, the thoughts in your head don't. Perhaps you felt those thoughts as you look in the mirror while getting ready, looking at the numbers on a scale or in your personal goals, look at your calendar of commitments and expectations of those around you, or even in your relationships when you react or feel contention. Feeling like you are not enough is an identity crisis. Most people, successful or not, feel this way sometimes, especially when they base their worth on their performances, achievements, or approval. Identity may not be something that you consciously think about very much, yet your sense of self plays into every part of your life. Curious to see how? Here is a quick identity check. Number one, do you ever compare yourself to those around you in real life or on social media? Two, do you ever feel like you are not enough? Three, do you ever feel jealous of someone else? Four, do you ever define yourself by your faults or weaknesses? Five, do you ever worry about what other people think of you? Six, do you ever apologize to others for your weaknesses? Seven, do you ever judge other people or criticize them silently or vocally? Eight, do you ever base your worth and confidence on achievement, success, or relationships? Nine, do you ever long for approval from other people in your life? Ten, do you ever feel like you don't belong? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you too have experienced the struggle of identity 
We all experience this struggle. It's part of being human. We all have thoughts sparked by the questions and circumstances above. Yet, there is a difference between the prick of a passing thought and the weight of those thoughts turned into beliefs that shape our life. Imagine instead if this were your identity check. One, you have confidence and peace in who you are. Two, you know you are enough. Three, you easily rejoice in the accomplishments of other people. Four, you know your own gifts and continually seek to further develop them. Five, you aren't swayed by what other people think of you. Six, you can be vulnerable in life's imperfections without fear of judgment. Seven, you can see the best in other people and give them the benefit of the doubt. Eight, you are grounded in your unchanging worth, independent of your actions or circumstances. Nine, you love and accept yourself. 10, you feel like you belong. 11, you feel abundance and are eager to create with the many resources available to you. Living in your true identity is living an abundant life. Gone are the comparative measures of lack and scarcity, and in their place is the vision of immeasurable worth, resources, and possibility. Living in your true identity unveils your infinite worth your individual mission, an array of resources to accomplish all you were sent here to do. This is who you are designed to be. Just as the tiny acorn seed contains the blueprint to grow into a mighty oak tree, you too have within you the seed of greatness. The acorn grows when the conditions are right, and it pushes deep into the dirt to root itself for growth. When you push through the dirt of your own life with a willingness to grow, you too become grounded in your true self. You begin the beautiful process of developing into who you were created to become. What is identity? Webster Dictionary defines identity as the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. It is the character of who you are, or more importantly, it is the character of who you are designed to become. If we think of identity like a character in a three-act play, the author creates a character with unique strengths and weaknesses. He places his character in a setting and plot that will help him or her develop as he or she meets conflict and ultimately triumphs. So too has our Heavenly Father created each of us individually as a unique character in this grand drama of life. You are here to meet conflict, develop, and triumph just as the hero or heroine of any other captivating story. Yet, unlike an actor or actress with a full script, we often wander the stage wondering who we are, what our story is, and how it will all work out in the end. Elder Boyd K. Packer carried this analogy further when he relayed the story, The Play and the Plan. The plan of redemption, with its three divisions, might be likened to a grand three-act play. Act one is entitled Premortal Life. Act two, from birth to the time of resurrection, titled The Second Estate. And act three, life after death or eternal life. In mortality, we are like one who enters a theater. Just as the curtain goes up on the second act, we have missed act one. The production has many plots and subplots that interweave. 
making it difficult to figure out who relates to whom and what relates to what, who are the heroes and who are the villains. It is further complicated because you are not just a spectator. You are a member of the cast on stage in the middle of it all. As part of the eternal plan, the memory of our pre-mortal life, Act 1, is covered with a veil. Since you enter mortality at the beginning of Act 2, with no recollection of Act 1, it is little wonder that it is difficult to understand what is going on. Close quote. With no memory of our life before, we have also forgotten who we were before. Because we each write our own ending to Act 2, it becomes imperative that we become clear on our identity. The plot of our individual story rests upon our use of agency and our ability to develop into the character God created us to be from the beginning. When you know who you really are, you intentionally co-create your story with the Lord and look forward with faith to all that comes in Act 3. This book will explore the concept of identity using the following synonyms, true identity, true character, true self, and divine nature. I interpret them to all mean the same thing within the context of this book. We likewise will explore an alternate identity, which I refer to as the false identity, false self, ego, or natural man. I also use these terms synonymously. Presenting these two identities in opposition will clearly delineate the difference between the two, helping to guide you to live the fascinating story that is only possible when living in your true character. So who are you? Sometimes the best place to start is knowing who you are not. My story, building my identity on sand. I built my identity on success as far back as I can remember. When I was three years old, I began my music career. My mother had carefully watched me spend hours sitting at the piano, picking out the melody of primary songs, and was convinced that I was the next piano protege. On a trip to the grocery store, she noticed a sign on the community bulletin board for music preschool. She quickly tore off the number and convinced the teacher to let me in even though I was not old enough to meet the age requirement. I thrived in music school. Before long, I was in piano lessons and progressing rapidly on my path to being a musician. I was playing the piano each week for sacrament meeting by the age of 10, winning awards and gaining a lot of attention for my skill on the piano. I felt proud and important. Piano eventually led to an interest in composing my own music, and I eagerly composed a song each year to enter into the PTA Reflections Contest, a national contest to support creativity in the arts. Every year, I would win first place in my school division. It didn't matter that there were no other entries in the music category. That blue ribbon and acknowledgement of being first and the best at something fed my ego and became an expected honor and part of my identity. In middle school, my first place rank now qualified me for higher level competitions at region and state. This was where I first met Stanton Wilcox. He was a genius who also happened to play the piano and compose music. The only difference, however, was that he was so much better than I was. I stopped winning first place and I started winning second place. 
Stanton would always take first place at the regional level and would go on to the state competition. My status had now been overshadowed. What had made me special before now made me second rate. I couldn't handle the rejection and the loss I felt receiving second place. Unfortunately, this isn't just a story of immature elementary school jealousy. Stanton and I competed head to head all the way to college, where we both became music majors at the same university. It was like I couldn't get rid of him. (laughs) Over the years, I tried to be the bigger person. I repeatedly approached him after competitions to congratulate him on his success. But in truth, my intention was to solicit a compliment in return, which never happened. I began to crave his approval and acceptance deeply. Oh, how I wanted him to tell me that I was good enough. I longed to hear him tell me that I had talent and promise. The perfect opportunity finally came in my third year of college. One of my music compositions not only won in the state of Utah, but also had placed first in the nation. I was thrilled with myself, and to the absolute delight of my prideful ego, I walked into the music school that week to see welcoming signs that read, Congratulations to Brooke, our very own national champion in music. The scene took my breath away. As if that single acknowledgement wasn't enough, I began to make my way to class and saw repeated signs everywhere. Every turn, every hallway, the signs continued touting my achievement. Brooke is a winner. Congratulations to Brooke. Brooke is a national champion. I climbed the stairs to the second floor to see the signs follow me again. Classmates passing in the halls offered their congratulations. Everyone in music school would quickly know of my accomplishment. But most importantly, I imagined Stanton reading the signs. Stanton would know I was a winner. And if Stanton could see this, then I would have finally received the one recognition that meant more to me than anyone else. Serendipity continued to play into my morning as I approached the student lounge a few hours later. I'd come to study during my break, and who walked in but Stanton Wilcox, accompanied by our professor. It was the moment I had waited for my entire life. I had evidence of my worth written on the walls and the one person who I wanted validation from the most standing right before me with a big obvious prompt to say what I longed for him to say. Our professor had watched the two of us compete since we were children and instantly found this scene to be of great personal interest. He offered his congratulations and observed Stanton for a response. When Stanton said nothing, he nudged him lightly saying, Stanton, Brooke won nationals. Isn't that amazing? Stanton shrugged his shoulders and walked away undeterred. No number of signs or praise from anyone else could compensate for the rejection I felt in that moment. It wouldn't have mattered if I had just won a Grammy. I felt like a loser because Stanton Wilcox didn't validate my success. Identity crisis. Months later, I was called to serve a mission on the east coast of Canada. Life was strikingly different now. Gone were the concerns, the spotlight, the stage, the recognition and admiration. My days were now spent teaching the gospel and serving in the community. 
No one knew anything about my past or my resume of achievements. I was no longer the gifted musician girl. There was no distinguishing labels. In fact, I was no longer even identified by my first name. I was called sister, and I dressed the same as other sister missionaries dressed, and I did the same things sister missionaries do. I suddenly felt very ordinary with no competitions, grades, or awards to validate my worth. This triggered my first identity crisis. For the first time in my life, I realized that I had built my entire identity on my success in music. As soon as that was not part of my life, I no longer had confidence in myself. Perhaps I could recreate patterns of success in missionary work and find confidence again. So I practiced the only method of identity that I knew, work hard to succeed and find confidence in my success. I became a captivating teacher and presenter, and I worked hard to perfect my skills. I certainly developed some new talents, but if the number of converts measured a successful mission, then I was a failure. Certainly, one could argue that I still had great influence for good, but my numbers couldn't prove that. My mission ended, and I went home feeling like a nobody. At least I could return to music school and find myself again. And so my pattern continued. Whether it was building an identity on success in music or teaching, I was building an identity atop a foundation that could not last. An identity based on what other people thought of me and where I could find success. It was a shaky foundation that required constant validation from others and from achievements to determine my worth. This pattern surfaced in many areas of my life. Sometimes it looked like fitting into a certain clothing size and losing weight. Sometimes it looked like having a boyfriend. Sometimes it looked like winning a competition or achieving some great success. As I got older, it started to look like being successful in my career, having a nice house, having a great marriage, having well-behaved children, having people think well of me. My confidence and worth rested upon being perfect and beautiful and happy. The messages of the world beckon us down this path every day. Be skinny and you'll love yourself more. Be popular and you'll love yourself more. Be in a relationship with someone you admire and you'll love yourself more. Be accepted and you'll love yourself more. One day, while listening to a podcast, the speaker shared the familiar Bible parable of the wise man and the foolish man. The foolish man builds his house on the sand, and the wise man builds his house on the rock. When the rains and the floods come, the foolish man's house, built on sand, is washed away. When the rain and floods come on the wise man's house, built on rock, it stands strong and firm and immovable The speaker went on to explain that whenever we build our identity on other people, achievements, results, things, or what other people think of us, we are building our identity on sand. It doesn't have any power to support us. It might work for a while while the weather is good, but what happens when the weather changes, when the relationship doesn't work out, when our life plan doesn't work out? When people disappoint us, reject us, or hurt us. When we obtain our goals and don't feel the happiness we always thought it would bring to us. Building your identity on sand cannot last. You must build your identity on rock. Building on rock. Today, 
I no longer build my identity on sand. Rains and floods can come and go in my life, and my identity stands strong and true despite the weather. Through seasons of achievement or failure, through periods of acceptance or rejection, through sunshine or storm, my identity is built on rock and doesn't wash away. Through the use of some practical tools, which I will share with you in this book, I have learned to know, love, and develop my true self. As a result, I am confident and grounded in who I am. I feel grateful and happy almost all the time. I can look forward with faith in life because my worth and sense of self are no longer threatened by external things. What a relief to no longer need the approval of Stanton Wilcox. What freedom to no longer need to prove my worth or earn it. I finally know and believe deep within my soul that my worth is inherent and independent of my actions or circumstances. I can say that I truly love who I am becoming. Experiencing life from the steady foundation of the rock is exactly how we were designed to experience life. When we live here, everything else falls into place. We make better decisions. We receive and give love to ourselves and others. We work on our personal development with hope and faith. We create great work and serve others in a magnificent way. Our challenges are manageable. Everything about life is enhanced and glorified when we know the truth of who we are and live in our true identity. Are you ready to find the true you? The great news is you don't have to look far. She or he is already inside of you. She's happy. She's always at peace. She's gifted. She's beautiful. She has a unique mission and purpose. Whether you are young or old, she's there and she's waiting for you to let her shine. Thank you, friends, for listening to the introduction of my book. If you listen and you love what you hear and you wonder where to start in this amazing process, I invite you to take my Christian Meditation 40-Day Challenge course. Meditation is my most important practice of the day and my number one way to help me live in my true self. You hear me preach over and over the importance of the small and simple things in our life, and this one habit has changed my life. It is small and simple, but it reaps incredible rewards. But the key is consistency. That's why I love that this is a 40-day challenge. The challenge is to do it for 40 consecutive days. Starting a new habit, and even more so being consistent with it, it can be tricky. This is why I offer every student a free buddy pass, allowing you to handpick your own friend or family member to take the course with you. You get your own accountability partner and you both do the challenge together. Two people start a new empowering practice instead of just one. If this is calling out to you, I invite you to register at the link in the show notes or find it on my website at brooksnow.com. You can do this. You are amazing. I am cheering you on.